0: Suleyman. Saduddin. how are you feeling bro? What's on your mind?
1: What's on my mind? Such an interesting question. Um, You know what's on my mind today? It, a podcast I listened to this morning, uh, not to sound too generic, but the podcast was about how COVID-19 is going to impact the city, like cities around the world, mm. specifically communities as well. And you know that I'm involved um, with a community organization. And for me, community is something I, try, I think about quite often. And it's like, what is COVID 19 going to do to the way that we think about community? Like, given that more people are going to be working from home, they're going to be based and rooted in their local areas, um, they're going to be less inclined to go to the city, to places where there are lots of people. Do you think that we're going to return to some sort of localism where we're like, we're only going to be spending time with people in our local area? That's something I've been thinking a lot about. Wow. Um,
0: Yeah. That's mad interesting. Mm. It's kind of like a a reversion to what life was like before (laughs) the industrial revolution. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. It's interesting as well because in one sense coronavirus has kind of propelled technology so far forward, but in that sense it seems like it's kind of pre-technology
1: exactly exactly because at the end of the day we i don't feel like it's sustainable for us to be in our rooms or our households all day every day amazon prime (laughs) i mean as they're coming to drop you the the, the groceries you need to spend time with people right Mm -hmm. i don't think that's ever going to go but yeah it's an interesting one what's been on your mind?
0: um i've watched a talk i came across a talk by a guy called paul butler professor paul butler and he's um a legal professor he was a criminal prosecutor in America um, but now he's he's a writer now and he he lectures at different unis in America. But one thing I liked about watching his talk, he spoke about his own story and and it was really interesting like the way he used storytelling to advocate for his views on like criminal justice reform in America. It was interesting but I think what was more interesting to me beyond like the academic and, and, and the story and all of that was This idea that we spoke about before, when you mentioned Suleiman, Akala, and Loki, and we spoke about how refreshing it is to see someone carry themselves in a way that inspires you and and almost is like a benchmark of what you could be like in a way or shape or form, even if it's not them in totality, but like an aspect of them. Do you know what I mean? In the way they carry themselves in a sort of dignified manner. And he, for me, is someone... I would put in that category. And
1: what aspect about him yeah. do you
0: like? I don't know. Do you
1: do you respect, or admire?
0: I think it's the his his assuredness in a very academic space that usually there's like a there's like a way you you perform in it. Mm. There's a lot of performance in it, mm. and I think his lack of performance and his integrity in such a space where usually it can be very intimidating like the the one i watched was in a harvard law school um and for me i feel like at times i could see myself if you put me in there now i could see myself being very performative do you know what i mean like it might look good on the outside but there's a there's a layer of this ain't really me because you kind of have to act right and for me what came across was that this is just how he is Mm -hmm. um and i think I, i really admire that in anyone. Um, to be able to walk into a room, I think jay Z said a line similar to this like I walk into every room as myself, yeah. so mm-hmm. I think yeah, that's my that was my takeaway from from Paul butler but before we move on, you get oh. me, you gotta <laughs> listen
1: on the topic of integrity not on a rule on a real, on a real yeah. point, like me and Sadadim, we got to know this person at the same time, right? yeah, and we both instantly like there was something about him that just like.
0: We Gravitated
1: towards, we're not doing too much, right? <laughs> <laughs> not even,
0: <laughs> but yeah, man. Yeah, this is this is something I don't know, I've been waiting for so much, and for me, it encapsulates why we do what we do because mm. it's just so fun, like to just be able to catch up with people that that's just our people. Um, so yeah, Samuel, what's on yeah. your mind, bro? What's been on? Well, how's your week? How you been? What's been on your mind? Um, there's two things I'm
2: reading this book by Bob Ager, he's like the CEO of Disney. And it's just like his experience from like being a junior to where he is now. And then last night I was watching this documentary on from Sky Sports, which is like Anthony Joshua from 1989 to 2014. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of nice to like read someone's book or watch someone's journey, them talking about what they're gonna do, their plans to unify the heavyweight division or... Mm. But see those thoughts when the person was in the position that we're in do you know what i mean because yeah. it just kind of gives you a bit more self-confidence about what you're thinking about do you know what i mean because too much too often we see them at the end trying mm. to give us advice and it's like mm. i don't really know if you were in this position mm. do you know what i mean yeah so yeah that's that's me
0: Absolutely. so let's start at the start samuel um what's one early memory bro uh
2: uh, cool it came into my head so i'm just gonna say it <laughs> <laughs> i must have been in uganda right um i was with my cousins i was born here but I, i've been back for a fair few times i was with my cousins and then um there were just some older kids i think maybe i was like five and the people who were older were maybe 13 but they looked like they were 20 because you know the height difference and what and then they just looked threatened so <laughs> we must have like picked up a rock and then my uncle came out and he was just like, what are you doing? What happened? What, 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 picked up a rock? <laughs> it was like, they were going to threaten us. Mm-kay. But when I look back at it, it's like, there was no real sense of danger. Yeah. It was just me and my, my cousins being the same age, thinking, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a wild story, but it sounds a lot wilder than it was, but <laughs> it just came into my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Something I'm really interested in that I feel like both of you have experiences with that I don't is even though my grandparents came from another country. Mm. I've never had the experience of going yeah. to my motherland or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. And I've never had the experience of kind of juxtaposing the two two different environments. Yeah. So like both of you, I'd be interested to know like what what was it like going to another country when you were young, coming oh, back to the UK? How did that
0: sh- uh so shape for, you? Me, for me like okay, I can speak about Sudan, yeah. So it's so Family oriented, I think that's the first thing I would say. Like everything is about family. Yeah. And there's just so much like my, my I have eight aunties and uncles from my mom's side. So obviously you can imagine like the amount of kids, um and cousins that I have. Well kids I have and cousins. <laughs> no kids they have and cousins <laughs> <that> I have. <laughs> Um, so, it, it, everything's just family-oriented. So, literally, motives are just going to other people's houses. Like, that was the motive. I oh, we're going to this person's house today. Tomorrow, we're going to that person's house. Tomorrow, we're going to that person's house. Um, so, that, for me, was a big deal. And the reason, for me, it was so stark was because in London, it, there, it didn't really... It, it kind of just me and my household. So, kind of like what seems to be more like yours, which is like, yeah, your mum, your, your siblings. Right, your yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's kind of your family unit. And then going there and seeing that the family unit is so wide... I think for me that was like wow, um, and I think for me in going to Sudan was the first time I saw like the important like what it is to to be a part of a family like in a in a holistic sense um, like your problems are uh, their problems are your problems their joy is your joy like you go to a wedding you go to a funeral blah, 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 all of these kind of things and I think growing up in Britain because I didn't realize this but it's so individualistic like if something happens you're kind of like well, why do I have to do this like what's the point. And then my mom might say, "Yeah, because of, she you know I me mean? because this or because that or because this person is married to this person whose daughter or whatever." <laughs> and it's kind of oh, cool, whatever, man. Do, I don't, I don't want to do this, but whatever. And I think in Sudan it's kind of more the natural process of things like when Britain is like you're an island, but over there it's kind of like the family is is, mm-hmm. is, is part of the, it's part of the collective.
2: Bro, the same thing. Yeah. Sudan and Uganda share a border, innit? the same thing. It's just going off what you said. It's even from um my dad's ethnic group. They say tribe, but ethnic group. This this term called Ubuntu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like essentially what it means is I am because you are, or because we are. And it's like your value is not in isolation. It's linked to other people. And like when I when I've gone back to you, well, one I say back when I've gone to Uganda. It's the same thing, bro. Like. I'm, one time I went to a water well, yeah, but then I, it wasn't for my house, it was for a relative. Just everything being interlinked, like the whole thing about a village raising a child and all that kind of stuff. And then it's it's a weird one because it's like, I'm not trying to give the, the abject poverty Africa story, but, and I know there's parts of Uganda and there's sides of Uganda that I've seen where people are just living rich. Like it's got a, a lot of nice landscape, rivers, lakes, So you can imagine properties around those areas. But then at the same time, it's like, being British and being born here, it's like you go go back home, I see them both as homes, and you know the term like developed world versus the developing world? Obviously you can see it, like, you can see one sense of it, but then like you're saying, in terms of culture and connection, I don't, which one is really developed. Do you know mm. what I'm trying to say? Like mm. genuinely, because there's certain things that I see. All I'm saying is that one thing I love about having gone home is that it just gave me a perspective because I feel like when you when we're in this country bro, like we've had this, these conversations before, like all of our boroughs have a crazy rich part of it and a poor part, or you see the skyline and you're from London, but you're not from the city of London, you're not from Westminster, you're not from those places, right? And some some things are definitely poverty in this UK, in the UK, Then some of it is like relative poverty, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when I've gone to Uganda, it's like, I just know I'm good, I'm good, like really and truly I'm good here, do you know what I'm trying to say? Because there's just certain things I don't have to worry about. Wow.
0: Samuel mentioned, he sees, you, you said you see both this place and Uganda home, so do you, Suleiman, Do you see Pakistan as home?
1: <laughs> I don't even know if I see this country as home.
0: Mm. Really?
1: I see London as home. That's <laughs>
0: interesting. So you don't see England as home, or Britain as home, or the UK, <laughs> but you see London as home, or like Southwark as home.
1: Don't even want to get too abstract, but like, what is home? Is it <laughs> like what is okay? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna define home as a place where you're comfortable, right? Because that's just simple definition for us to work from. I've started to feel a lot more comfortable in Cambridge. Like, um, I I I know the geography quite well. I know the different spots and oh, the different you places. Know the shortcuts, yeah. <laughs> the, shortcuts <laughs> at the back of my I know. I know shortcuts.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, man. I feel like home for me is just a place where you feel comfortable, you know the geography, you know the physical landscape, and you know the people, Mm -hmm. so yeah, to answer your question, I I don't think I do, because I've never been there, and Mm -hmm. can you really feel home in a place you've never been?
2: Yeah. Can I say something? Go on. Mate, because you know when you asked that question, it was like, you've asked the question off the back of what I've said, but I have to give the other side of it, because there's a side where I feel like a lot of people who are black British, Asian British, it's like, the UK is not your home, but then your homeland's not your home, like you're too English there, and you're too other here, do you know what I mean, and for me, the reason I just say they're my homes, and I say it truly, is because no one's taken away the fact for me that I've lived in this country for 22 years, because even for me, the place I've lived in, and we can go into it, Like, you know what you said about where you feel comfortable? Mm. When I was young, I didn't feel comfortable where I lived. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, my area was, it's in London, it's in South London, but it's mad racist. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, Stephen Lawrence got killed in the area. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So, from young, it was like I was in a bubble of extreme racism. Like, even my mom got like racially abused the other day. Do you know what I'm trying to say? But when I was young, it was like extreme like 80s or 60s type race no way Do you know what i'm trying to say so but as i've got older it's like this is my area and when i look at myself there's certain things about me that would not be the case if i if i hadn't lived here and then even when i go to uganda it's like being able to go to the place the village the remote village where your mom grew up where your granddad grew up and being able to walk areas and understand that that's where your uncle was and your granddad wasn't hearing stories. They're all part, that's all part of my story. So even though I've not been brought up there and even though there's complexities here, it's my home. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say?
1: You know what, man? I really appreciate you saying that. And I feel like it's made me think about my own home in a more sophisticated way. Like home is where the heart is. That's yeah. what they say. and. My, her- my heritage or my my lineage or like my, my grandparents, I, I love them to bits and their family is based in that land, yeah. which means that my heart is somewhat there as well. Yeah. So in a way, I would actually, <laughs> I, changed <my> <laughs> I changed my answer. I changed my answer. I changed my answer, bro. Ask
0: me again. Ask me again. <laughs> <laughs> ask me again.
1: <laughs> you mentioned the area that you grew up in. I'd be interested to kind of hear more about what life was like growing yeah. up in that area. What are some events or experiences that come to mind when you think about growing up in that space?
2: Yeah. um, It's a weird one, because it's like, you know, when we're talking about home and all those kind of things, you know, I'm not trying to be narcissistic, but you know there's things you like about yourself that you're proud of. It's that like there's a lot of things that I don't think would be the case with me if I hadn't lived there. But yeah, when I was young, like Elton, if you're from Southeast, you know that Eltham is the area that it's like. Do you know what I'm trying to say? In terms of like racism, but even like 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 dangerous racism. Do you know what I mean? Like the tap, the kind of Millwall supporters, the football hooliganism type stuff. And I'll be real, it was a lot worse in like the early 2000s, and like I can only imagine the 90s because I was born in 98. So, I, but yeah, so like when I was young. Just experiencing, like, hearing the N-word properly. Do you know what I mean? Even things like, there's been situations where... This was all when I was young. Like, before the age of 10, 7. Like, like people throwing stones and stuff. Like, even passive aggression. I don't know if this is passive aggression. (laughs) But it was a woman who used to always bring her dog to to do its business on the drive, like always just so happened to be just on, do you know what I'm trying to to say? So I'll be real with you, those early years, just like extreme racism, I'm going to be real.
1: How did did your mum try to explain that to you when you were at a young age? Do you remember like, because as a kid, you don't even know what's happening. You don't know why people are moving the way they're moving. So how did your mum even try to explain that?
2: I think the sad that she spoke to me about was like just understanding that you're, Obviously, the conversation changes depending on your race, right? But the fact that you're a black boy, do you know what I mean? Or a minority, and how the perception of you made this be this, that, and the third. So, you know, the whole 10 work 10 times harder conversation, her my Auntie, I remember that. Don't remember the age, but very early. In terms of the actual racism, I think we. we It's not a thing that I go through things and I don't, me me and my mum can talk very comfortably. But when I was older, I think it was about maybe three years ago, my mum and my auntie, her friend, and we were talking about racism. And I told her that memory about like, basically I went to Greg's, came out with my mum, someone bought a Cornish pasty or whatever, right? And then actually with the money they've just spent on this food, they just threw it at me and my mum. So she took me into like a telephone box and closed the door behind her to stop this guy from doing it. This was in this area called Bexley Heath. Um, Cause my area is like Eltham's in Greenwich to the west of my borough is like Lewisham. East is Bexley and yeah. So like, so that was in Bexley Heath. And she didn't realize I remembered that. So I can't really remember the conversation about that, that extreme racism, but I don't think she thought that I remembered all those kind of little small things from when I was young because I used to live in that area, Wohu in Elton and then I moved to a different part of Elton but the conversations were more so to do with working hard and these are the hurdles you might face. Do you know what I mean?
1: Mm. So I'd be interested to kind of hear about school now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because you've spoken about your environment in depth. Yeah. How, like, I assume you went to a school in the same environment. Yeah, yeah. Like, what was school like for you?
2: it was calm. Like, yeah? <laughs> uh. It's a weird one because like I've got close friends from my school, like two especially that I'm still friends with to this day. And it's a weird one because when I was young, that racism was more over, Then it kind of changed. Then it changed to like you might be because I'll be real. I was I was talkative. That's the worst thing that someone could say about me. Do you know what I mean? But. I saw the way I was received for being talkative versus other people. Do you know what I mean? I feel like in to to do a secondary school, I probably spent about maybe just short of a year in isolation, but not straight isolation. If I count up all the weeks and months across the five years, I probably spent. It's a school ter- term like it's a school year like three terms or four t- four terms. Let's just say I, I spent like two thirds of a year in, in isolation for, like, really petty things, internal exclusion and what. um There's a little example I have. Basically, one of my boys, he moved his friend's jacket, yeah, and we weren't allowed phones at our, our school. So what happened is they, they said, and this guy's phone just so happened to go missing, and they said he moved the guy's jacket out of the radius of the camera to steal the phone. What ended up happening, this was the last day of time. Me and my boys went to the chicken shop, then went to Lewisham to get our haircut. And when we came back in the January, they excluded him and he went to a centre for like 15 days. And if you get excluded for more than five days, you have to go to a pupil referral unit centre. If you get excluded for less, you can just stay at home. And he was, to be real, he was like a good youth until that moment. Then he went to the pupil referral unit and everything just derailed. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm. And they basically, because I also went with him to the barbershop, they said that we co-conspirators type thing. Do you know what I mean? So they kept us in the internal isolation and they tried to play us against each other. And I'm going to be right, I was mad upset because it, it, the, the way they played us off against each other, it was like, they made me then ask questions like, bro, did you do this? Mm. Do you know what I mean? So just before they were preparing to expel him, when you expel someone, you need proof that they did it. And had they just done a thorough check before, had they do, done their due diligence, they would have seen that it wasn't him. Mm. So he's already done this 15 days exclusion and now they need to appease his parents. Then they excluded me because there was another boy who they found that did it and he was in my year and they said I was tied with him. Mm. So I was excluded for five days ex- externally. And then there was a white boy involved, um, a, a, accused as well, um, mixed race boy, some other black boys. And let's just say from the most extreme punishment to the least extreme punishment, you could literally break it down by race. Like even mm-hmm. the the white boy's parents were like, what the hell is going on? One guy wasn't even in the school at the time mm-hmm. and he got
0: chucked in with it. You, you used the word derailing. Yeah. And I remember Akala saying, the people that you e- externally exclude, or the people, the chief, of the Met said, the people that we exclude in schools, we might as well just give them a ticket to go to prison, because that's basically the trajectory.
2: Where I live is close to Woolwich, right? It's the same borough. And I don't know if you lot remember, when Lee Rigby was killed, he was basically killed by these extremists, um, both of African descent. Um, Basically, it was like, that patriotism came out, and you're not part of that patriotism. Mm. Like this, even though you didn't do it, mm. you can still feel like even me. I went to go put roses down at his grave, but it felt weird. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's a very, it's a very weird thing.
0: It comes back to what we said about home, and belonging. Yeah. Like, do you belong here? And who is the arbiter of who belongs and who doesn't? Because surely, if if someone's born here, then surely they should have just as much a say as anyone else, right? But apparently not. Yeah. But that's
2: why it's funny. Because this is what I'm trying to say. When it comes to my area, it's just an instilled, like, play the cards, you your dealt mentality, or, or turn a uh, a something situation into a good situation. Because mm. even me, certain people might think, oh, I'm not trying to say it, people have said it to me, say, oh, bro, you're quite articulate. Even that comment's a bit like, mm. there's very articulate people out here, by the way. Like it's it, That's not rare. But I kind of did it because the area I'm from, it's English of the English, right? But they don't speak the Queen's English. So from young, it's like, ah, cool, I'm gonna win this way. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, you're not, you might think I'm an other, but I'm gonna speak this language better than you. Wow. Like, that That kind of was my mentality. So even the, the musicians I, I look up to, like the Tupac's or the Nazis, they're authentic in themselves, their voices are who they are, but you could never call any of them, you couldn't, you couldn't call either of them stupid. Do you know what I mean? They're well-read, not that being able to speak English well means you're smart. Do you know what I'm trying to say, but mm. yeah.
1: So Samuel, I remember this conversation that we had after a rare event, mm-hmm. where we were speaking about how growing up in a certain environment has given us the ability to communicate in two dialects, in yeah. two languages, because we speak English, but it's like English is—I mean, it's multi-layered, I mean, yeah. there are different types of English. Uh, there are the, there's a the Queen's English, and then there's a different type of English as well. And the way that me and you talked about it, it was as if it was a superpower, mm. like there are people that speak perfect English but will not be able to communicate to certain demographics because of their inability to switch up a tone of voice or Mm -hmm. kind of use certain vocabulary or to not even just use the vocabulary artificially, but to really know what that word means. Like, do you really know what that word means when you say it? That's a big question. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk more about language, man, because I feel like that was such a even just in terms of our relationship, like off that one conversation, we've spoken about it so many times. So like, what do you think about that topic of language and communication?
2: Um, it's a weird one because it's like, even at uni, you see how a lot of people, everyone speak speaking English, but sometimes it can be a barrier. I don't feel like I have the barrier. I'm not, that's just, it's not even to do with me. It's just like, I feel like, my area, but then it's wider context in South. It just means that I've just spoken to a, a a wide range of people to where you just you just you just not learn like some kind of Machiavellian manipulative way, but more so like you just get comfortable talking to different people. And it's like we were having a conversation about if you change how you speak, are you less authentic, right? And like for me, the one thing that I want to even even like I'm going into commercial law. One thing I'm mindful of is, if my pronouncing T's become stronger or my word choices change, I don't really think that's a problem, but I don't want my voice to change. Like you see, you listen to Will Will Smith, he's eloquent, but his voice is his voice. And I just feel like, that's when I started thinking about this thing called, like this brand and like mindset that me and my, my friend Josh Brewster are building called Two Languages, because I've thought about it, like, people make it seem like changing the way you speak English, you make your, you become less authentic, but then we had the conversation, if you speak Spanish, and you speak English, or you speak Arabic, if you're speaking to someone from the Middle East, and you speak Arabic, does that make you any less authentic? It, I wouldn't say it does, do you know what I mean? So, the the two, the two, old, two languages, that's the, the source of 2L but it's, it's kind of grown into something else it's just about being able to like we feel like our strength is in the fact that we've we've had a wide experience and we're close and we know a lot of different people and that's created a level of balance to where we can kind of maneuver in different spaces as our authentic
0: selves but get the most out of it I love the way you put it in terms of speaking differently but maintaining your voice because yeah. that kind of your voice is is who you are and I remember my friend saying this to me. My friend, he speaks a lot of languages, yeah. So he's like a polyglot. And he um, said, yeah, like, language is the tool. Mm. The, what you want to get across is, is, is the important thing. It's the message that's important. Yeah. But language is just a tool. So if I'm speaking Japanese to someone, or I'm speaking Arabic, or I'm speaking French, that's just the the, the tool to get across um, my message. And there's something similar to what you said, Soleil, man, about um, it's ju- it just being sort of a means to an end. Um, but I, I do, and the reason we had that conversation, literally, because I, I remember it was something I wrestled with a lot. Um, this idea of like changing the way you speak, um, and I think a large part for me, it came down to this idea of like, well, everyone I see on like TV or or whatever you wh- wherever these sort of spaces of of celebrity are, it kind of seems that people are very pigeonholed. Mm. So it's like if you speak like this, that means you're. From the entertainment industry, let's say, yeah? Yeah. And, and you're celebrated for speaking like that. Or let's say you speak like very East Ender, then you're Danny Dyer, and you got to speak like that on any and every panel show. That's just who you are, and people kind of... That's your shtick kind of thing, isn't it? Um, or if you're just like very well-spoken, then you present Have I Got News For You, and you're David Mitchell, and you're the host. Do you know what I mean? And so I feel like the, growing up, I saw that a lot, especially in sort of British society and British culture where it's kind of very prison hold like you're this that means you go here and you do that you're this you speak like this that means you go here and you do that so I think that's where this binary mindset for me kind of crept in but what you said it adds like a lot of layers and and different colours to it
1: I feel like we've mentioned his name more than twice now but Akala was like the first person or one of the first people I was exposed to that kind of crossed boundaries Mm. he was the first person that I mean when you're when you're young and when you're when you're kind of when, when media and like all of these different influences become your main kind of source of reference you associate intelligence with a certain type of voice or at least I did like if you were intelligent you sounded this way him being exposed to him being exposed to other people that did similar work to him like George the poet like um low key like other other people in that in that in that field it completely changed my kind of um, view on what, of what intelligence is and what it looked like. And mm. I think it's important to see people like that because it makes those types of paradigm shifting possibilities a reality. Because yeah. that's your paradigm, bro. That's the way you view the world. And for you to change the way you view the world, you need examples. You yeah. need to see physical, tangible things that can help shift those boundaries.
2: If you get to a point where you're willing to take perspectives from a wide source, then you're just gonna be enriched. Do you know mm, what I mean? Dynamic. So that's mm. at that's like the basis of 2-0. And then when it comes to my boy's venture, 2-0 training, it, carrying on that theme of like intersection and the nexus is like, he's looking at how sports and science intersect and looking at how, explaining why doing that extra rep from, on a, from a scientific um, viewpoint, why it's gonna help you through your sports. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think to to spin it, because I can, like we said about my area and all those kind of things, I still feel like everything has been overwhelmingly positive, genuinely. And it's like, there's actually things that just, I'm not trying to be motivational Martin Luther King angle, but it's like, there are actually just human experiences. And I feel like once people just, try to take themselves out of pigeonholes and mm. don't try to pigeonhole other people, they'll realize that even if the experience wasn't the exact same, there's certain feelings that are huge. Do you know what I'm trying mm. to say? So that's where the, the two languages, and this is one, like you you two especially, I, I rate you, you're so authentic here at Cambridge. Bro, even today, bro, you're in your Marseille track, yeah? <laughs> I came up and I thought, ah, cool, I've got a black cap, I've not got a trim, so I'm gonna wear it. And I just thought, I only go to cities like Birmingham, right? I'm going to Cambridge, which is a city, but it's Canada sticks. What am I going to wear today? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm. But you two are so authentic in who you are here. You're intelligent. You've come from specific backgrounds and that's enriched you. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I just feel like when people start to look past, not look past it, because all those things are part of your story and part of where you're valuable. But, Fam, like, I don't think it's that radical. Mm. It's just it's just life. Because mm. wow. I'll be talking to certain people. Just to say this, right? When I had an interview for Commercial Law, there were certain things I was tapping in on. People that would... I, I'm not going to say arguably. There's certain people I know who would never be having a conversation with the partner I was being interviewed by. Mm. But I was tapping into conversations I've had with them and then having a conversation with the partner. Now, those two people might not talk to each other, mm. but they spoke to each other in that interview. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So it just proves it's not really as divided as it seems.
1: But I wanted to ask a question to both of you. It's a bit off topic, but like, based off your experiences in 2020, yeah, if there was one, if you could give a lecture or you could give a, a lesson or a talk on one thing that you've learned this year, what would it be?
2: You're gonna have to go first, boy. All right.
0: The first thing that comes to mind is the importance of getting ready for bed. It sounds dumb, yeah, but I forgot like you know for the past, let's say, four years of my life yeah, the idea of getting ready for bed, was it never really was part of my structure of my day. You kind of get tired, and it's like, all right, cool, I'm going to bed. Do you get me? Um, but for me, it would be like relearning that, and that's something, because of like lockdown, etc. And also because it was Ramadan when, when it was lockdown as well. So I tried to be more purposeful with my time, but like scheduling in, all right, cool time to get ready for bed Do you know what i mean it just reminds me of you know bedtime stories let's yeah. get ready for bed it's just like a, it sounds like a very childish phrase but for me it's like really important because the way i think about it is you know like a word document there's a header and there's a footer so for me it's kind of like the header is like the start of the day and then having the footer um to sort of go like look this is after this line this is just getting ready for bedtime. So anything that's not gonna contribute to my like getting ready for bed is is lock off time. So for uh, like social media, all of these kind of things is kind of like shut down. So yeah, I would say having a header on footer in in my day would be the the lecture I would I would give whoever <laughs> whoever sad enough to come to that lecture. <laughs> 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 what about you, Sam?
2: Just take life as it comes. That's that's what came into my head because I feel like everyone's life has just been shaken up with this pandemic. And then like, for me, it was a weird one because I thought like this is the the best year I'd had. So when everyone was talking about our oh, 2020s crazy, I was just like, not like that, but I can't mm. relate type thing. Mm. Cause I just feel like I've been working towards something for like really years, not actively for this goal for years, but it's been years in the making type thing. But then like, me and a close friend lost someone. So it was like having that really positive, like the best news I've had in life, then one of the hardest bits of news I've had. But just like literally just, not even to be deep, but just take each day as it comes and just, do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah.
0: Why was 2020 the best year you've had?
2: Don't we talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> so essentially this summer, I got a training contract at um, a Magic Circle law firm, right? And fam, it's just, it's just a weird one because I feel like I went to my uni, I took a year out because my, my, my college, my sixth form college gave me like, because I didn't, I got a C, a C, two Ds in a U in my first year of college and then an A star and two Bs in the second year, yeah. Wow. So, and I, the craziest thing is I worked so hard in the first year, I just, I don't know what, it didn't work. So it was like, that moment just worked. Getting that second year grade just worked because even when you apply for things like vacation schemes, they want certain grades, mm-hmm. and my grades are just enough for that. My grades, my grades were just enough for the rare, the rare articles and mm. foundations program. My grades were lower, just a grade lower than my my uni, but because I was a plan with them rather than predicted, I got in. Mm. But then I went there, on paper being the least smart. I didn't have that self view, but on paper, right. And then all of a sudden, like it's like you're going into third year, and you've landed. I'm not trying to say it like I'm not trying to say it about myself, like bro. You've landed a serious grad job. It's just like it just felt like years in the making and the most audacious aim, and it just worked out. Do you, <laughs> know, what <I> mean? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Come like, on, brother. That's Too why, bro. <laughs> Too, oh. <laughs> Come on, man. Do you know what
1: I mean? <laughs>
0: nah, man. Yeah. Bro. Before, I would definitely want to touch on that, but I want to talk about, like, you said on paper, even though I didn't feel it. So what were you feeling when you step into those rooms?
2: Bro, like, you see the imposter syndrome thing, yeah? It's something that might be in my head, but then it just goes. Mm. And that's just because it's actually because of my area. That's why I'm not trying to, like, convince myself. It's like, well, you're not going to do what they were trying to do when I was seven. Do you know what I'm mm. trying to say? So like, I'll come into the room and I'm comfortable and I feel like I've got basis to be cool and make close friends out of anyone who's in that room. Naturally, if that happens, you know what I mean? But I did feel like I had a point to prove to myself and my mum because she believed in me. I believed in myself. So just about using the uni framework for what it was, you know what I mean? Uh, when I just think about like the training contract, it just makes me like, you were talking about what my future self would say to me and what I'd kind of say to my future self. In terms of what the future self would say to me, it's, it's kind of easy for me to say this because a trainee at the firm, basically when I messaged him saying I got the training contract, called me straight away. He was like, bro, you don't know how your life has changed because we haven't started working. We haven't done any of those things. It's just a contract has been signed a building is there, you don't know how it's materially going to change your life, do you know what I mean? But he just said, you don't know, like, it's changing, right? On the reverse of it, and we were talking about motivation after getting like a goal that's been a a big goal in your head, I do feel like my motivation had reduced the drive, but not in a negative sense, because I feel like a lot of the things that made me take opportunities slightly came from a negative place, like, you've gone through that secondary school experience. You've gone through all those things. I don't. I think this is also a male thing as well, yeah. Just putting certain hardships into mm. working and for the future. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So I feel like for once, I was actually content with what I've, I've done and where I am. And it served a purpose that mentality, like, you know, you said that I was watching your your episode about a lone wolf kind of mentality. That's the mentality I had in sixth form. Like, there was a lot of people I was cool with, but because of my secondary school experience, it was like, there's some, I need to sort some things out. Let me sort it out. And now I just feel a, a lot more present and a lot more mm. content, but the drive has decreased just a bit. So my question would be to the older self, like, to what degree is this working hard that you're doing that you'll continue to do in, in a competitive
0: and difficult field? To what degree is it healthy? Mm. Bro, what would you ask for? Let's say just who you are, what you're doing right now, yeah? Where you are right now. you Ask yourself, ask yourself in five years a question that you want to know the answer to, that you're just interested in the same way Samuel did. What do you do first thing when you wake up? And just before you go to bed, that's what I would want to ask myself. Interesting,
1: interesting, interesting. I like. Is this an answer that you want now? No, 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 no. I just, I just
0: put it out, put it out into the ether, mate. For me,
1: it's just, <laughs> for me, it's like I just, I just ask him. It's a difficult one, man, because there are a few things that come to mind. One of them is the idea of growth, and the other one is the idea of purpose. And I just say, are you doing things? with a clear with a with a with a clear intention mm. like do you know why you're doing the things you're doing, and are you happy with those intentions yeah. i think that, I think that's the type of question I would want to ask like it's just a g check you know what i mean like I would just g check myself in five years like are you sure you're doing what you're doing for for honest and 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 right reasons like can you is it justifiable to yourself it doesn't need to be justifiable to other people but based on your values and principles do you actually um are you are you happy with what you're doing in life yeah that's the type of question i lost
0: samuel looking forward what does success mean to you I'm not sure.
2: Um, I think about like when you were just talking, I was thinking about not a child essence. You know, when you talk about audaciousness and all those kind of things, maintaining that like independent thought and even if it's not the aim you have anymore, being able to say that you did things that you wanted to do five years before, do you know what I mean? and also, like, I feel like it comes back to the 2.0 stuff. Like, just, I don't want to feel like as people get older, they start to pigeonhole themselves. They don't, like, they they might get in a closer community. Just kind of staying open. And just open with, like, career options as well. I don't know. I hear
0: that. Where do you want to see two O in five years?
2: No one's ever asked you that question. Um, the way I see it, the easiest way to link what I was saying about 2 Foundation and 2 Training, there's the there's the first two like product offerings, is like the way it can be scaled out is I feel like commercial law is gonna take up not take up a lot of time. That's what I'm putting my time into because it's something I'm interested in. But on, on my boys side of the business just like understand i just want it to be like a motivation tool for people and like especially with sports i just think sports is and sports and music are such good tools i was saying this to Suleiman earlier it's like just looking like an at, at an athlete like a boxer like think about the olympics like a gladiator when you look at anthony joshua part of it is genetics but he could not look like that if he didn't put in the work so i just want i just want people to just be able to see motivation in a range of sources some who have like who are like them some who are not like them and just make it less of a personal personal motivation that i have now my close friends have and a symbol and a logo that we have and just more so like widening that most if i could say just to motivate others do you know what i mean Mm. that's what i'd want it to do how how it does that i don't know yet but we'll see
1: I'm looking forward to us linking up in five Come years, man. man. Come on. Man. And seeing, seeing I'm what watching the deal is. Man. <laughs> seeing what the deal is.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. On that bomb show, um, if you've enjoyed this, share it with a friend you think you might like it. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts because that always helps. Um, write a review if there's anything that uh, this conversation with Samuel. Uh, made you think about and, and sort of share that With us email In any thoughts Or suggestions Or reflections You might have And see you next week And wait One listen.
1: more thing One more thing Keep an eye out For 2L
0: Foundation oh, <laughs> Follow man. Share but Yeah we're definitely Going to drop all of that In the in the vid um, yeah. Can I say something Yeah go ahead I
2: like this podcast <laughs> yeah. I like it
0: Yeah Come on